Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 079. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, Christmas or not, sometimes life just feels out of control, and we, trying to do our best to wade through the chaos, grasp for all the control we can get. There are times, believe it or not, that this might not be the best strategy. This week's Christmas Carol, Away in a Manger, has an interesting oxymoron in it as we think about having control in our lives. See why the three titles the angel gave for Jesus to the shepherds, Messiah, Savior, and Lord, are actually good things. Check it out. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm a control freak. A recovering control freak. I get and completely own my work-in-progressness that goes with that whole topic. Maybe there's a place that you can relate to that, though. Perhaps if you are in a hospital bed, and there are options of life and death treatments that are before you, maybe you're one who would like to have a little bit of a say in that. I mean, at some point, we choose to live in a country that gives us options, gives us a say-so in how things go. There are certainly many other options out there uh, that would love to take such freedom away. But sometimes, having a say-so, being in control, is not always the best thing in the world. If I'm going to ride in an airplane, that's one time I don't want the captain's seat. Would not go well. If I have to have brain surgery, I don't want the nurse giving me the scalpel. I'd have one guarantee, you'd have some really interesting sermons if I had to give myself brain surgery. Sometimes, giving up control might even be the best move for us. Let's check it out in the Christmas story in the start of Luke 2. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral town to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging for them available for them. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Such humble beginnings for this child. I mean, manger, a wooden trough for a bed, no place in the inn for the family, all this basically taking place, being born in what amounts to a cave, Not the kind of conditions you would wish on even the poorest person out there, let alone Jesus, for those who know where this story ends up going. And yet for Paul, it seems like humility, being humble, was Jesus' MO from the start. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, he says, Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It seems fitting then 
that the Christmas carol for the week, Away in a Manger, sort of sings like a lullaby. It was artful how Carol played it in that sort of lullaby fashion. It's not something you blast out in, you know, epic march kind of style. It's a song you would sing a child to sleep with. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky all looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Now I will admit there is a bit of creative license that the lyric writer uses in this. Talking of things that the Bible doesn't explicitly say. And that's okay in the terms of a song so long as we acknowledge that that's what's happening. And, and the writer is using ideas you know, of the, the stars singing and, and the angels and everything like that that are contained in the Bible but using it in a, a creative fashion. But there is one little oxymoron in the carol, that idea of little Lord. We saw last week, as we were going over where this story goes from here, in Luke 2.11, the angel is visiting the shepherds and says, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This is an angel talking to the shepherds a.k.a. a mouthpiece of God, talking to the shepherds. That was, that was one of the main functions that angels have in Scripture. So if you want to know something about God's heart, reading in the Bible what an angel says is a pretty trustworthy source. And this mouthpiece of God gives three titles to Jesus. The angel gives the title Messiah, which is basically, here's God's work. God's part in all of this. It's basically a term that means anointed one, chosen one. So why is it important that the angel gives the shepherds, and eventually as the story gets passed on to Mary, just why is it important that we get this title? Because as we've talked about in the past, God has been laying out the promise of a savior for generations upon generations. And Israel has this image in their head of what that savior is going to look like. And they're way off base through no fault of their own, just through what they're going through. And God spilt a lot of ink in the Old Testament, talking about sort of putting out these markers, these conditions that had to be met so that you would know this is the person that I've been ready to send. Dozens of conditions that would have to be met. And when the angel says, this is the Messiah, to the shepherds and eventually to Joseph and Mary, they're like, yes, okay, this is the one that God had been promising. Gives a second title, Savior. Ah, we like this one, don't we? This is the nice one. It's almost like the bailout title, if you will. You know, we get ourselves in, into a jam or painted into a corner and the Savior comes and with the miraculous save. At the last minute in the epic fashion, maybe, I don't know. And there, there is no shame in really appreciating this title that Jesus has. Because he is 100% Savior. It's okay to, to like that, to be like, okay, I like this part of the message. Because we, as non-deities, have this sort of default to finding a way to need a savior, don't we? We can be real good and real creative at messing things up. In our relationship with God, we can default to sin, to dishonoring God, whether we intend to or not, you know, intentionally or not. And we end up needing 
a savior. We end up needing forgiveness. Something we can't acquire on our own. We can't buy it. We can't merit it. You know, no resume or no sheet of volunteer hours or no check in the offering plate is going to acquire forgiveness. At some point, we're on our own, with our own options, we're out of options. It's one of those times we need a savior. And God gives it. But when we have that one down, when we get that idea that Jesus is Savior, it's important to remember the angel gave three titles to Jesus. Messiah, Savior, and Lord. The title given to Jesus somewhere over 700 times in the New Testament. A title that reminds us, doesn't tell us, it reminds us that Jesus is supreme in authority, that Jesus is supreme in having control. And wait a minute, let's, just, let's go back to the Savior one because that one's a lot more fun. Let's ditch this somebody else is in control. As a control freak, I don't like that too much unless I'm flying in a plane or doing brain surgery. If we stick in the, I mean, the Savior one, I can put that on the shelf or pull it off when I need it, right? I can have my cake and eat it too. I can go on sinning and sin, 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 and hey, you know what? When the time comes to pay the pupper, I got to get a jail free card because Jesus is Savior. I like that one. I think of this idea of Jesus as Lord, and this is, this is my own image, but I think of it in terms or with the picture of a sleeping lion. The way the carol puts it in this lullaby fashion It's almost like this sleeping lion is this cuddly little stuffed animal that you just want to snuggle up next to. And you just want to get comfortable and and rest in its mane and all that sort of stuff. And it seems like an oxymoron that we sing about this little Lord in such a lullaby fashion because we sort of have to remember that when that lion wakes up, that thing can tear through a herd of zebras with one paw tied behind its back. This is not some afterthought title that the angel gives to Jesus. This is not some part-time Lord that Jesus asked to be because we're not playing some Parker Brothers game with get-out-of-jail-free cards with, of Jesus as Savior. See, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is supreme in the control and the authority, then that means I'm not. That means that we're not. And that's some scary business. This is something that is outside my control. Yay! But the other oxymoron is that that is the good thing. Because if Jesus is fully Lord, it helps us appreciate him as fully Savior. When Jesus is Lord, it sort of sharpens our senses to recognizing what we are saved from. If Jesus is fully Lord, then that means that he was able to pay the penalty for our sins to gain us forgiveness so that we didn't have to. I know this is sort of not the most lullaby image, but think of it in terms of a person who is on shore of a lake that asks, what is it like to be pulled out of the ocean, out of the lake, out of the water? They might say, well, it hurt my hair. Somebody takes their hair, yanks them out of the water to the shore, Ask the very same question to a person who five seconds earlier was drowning, you're going to get a very different answer. Please pull my hair. 
oxygen is worth the pain. When we get Jesus as fully Lord, we learn to appreciate him as fully Savior. Now, the thing is, though I am driving some of this imagery home, we can sort of talk this to death because it's safe to talk about it, isn't it? Because when we talk about it, it's out there. But what about those areas that we hold back? What about those areas in our lives that we say, I want to be in the captain's chair? Maybe it's not dealing with an airplane or brain surgery, but maybe in my relationships, I want to be the one in control. With my finances, I want to be in control. With my time, I want to be in control. God, I know better than you what's the right move for me. What are those areas we say that? Maybe not so brashly. I know that's kind of aggressive for talking to, you know, God. But maybe it goes like this. God, I really want this. Whether you say it's good for me or not. Your way is going to take five years to benefit me. My way, I can get all the pleasure I want in five minutes. God, I know your way says to do something now, but it's going to ruin my plans. Pay attention to the pronouns that I'm using there. What are the areas that we have this your way versus my way? A lot of times, those areas point to the places that draw up stress, the places that draw up worry, that draw up fear, that draw up hurt in our lives. Where we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grasp for whatever control I can get so I can protect myself. Fair thing to, to go to. But let me give you an example out of my BC days. Uh, and even a little bit into my after Christian days. When I was in high school, I was almost obsessed with this idea of not being single. Okay? And this doesn't mean that I bounced around from relationship to relationship. I was the one who never even got far enough to have a relationship to bounce from. I mean, I was the poster child for how not to ask a girl out. I think by the time I got done with my teen years, I could count the number of dates um, to my credit on one hand. Maybe even if I had a carpentry accident, I still could have done it. In my admittedly lack of perspective as a teenager, I was pretty obsessed with it. I mean, if it was around back then, I probably would have been on YouTube checking out every this is how to get the girl video out there and, and all that sort of stuff. And it was one of those things, stressed me out, made me worry. Everybody else had somebody but me. Again, I, I admit I had a lack of perspective as a, as a teenager, but I was a teenager, figuring all this stuff out. Fast forward just a little bit. How was it that I turned from that to meeting Rachel? When I finally said, in maybe not these exact words, but this idea, all right, God, I guess we have some other things to work on. I had become a Christian, and I was, I was a Christian maybe about three or four years by the time that I'm running this through my head. God, I guess we got some other things to do. So if you need me to put the relationship thing on pause for a little bit, okay. I don't like it, but let's concentrate on this other stuff and... and We'll make it work. So in that time, right about when I'm graduating college, God helps me find a community to worship with. One of the big things that I was looking for, because I didn't have that going into college, gave me a place to start cutting my teeth in ministry. 
Oh, and as God does all this, he finally answers that 22, 23-year prayer of giving me an awesome girlfriend. And the rest is pretty much history. (laughs) Giving up control is scary. I certainly get that. Being a control freak is not a spiritual gift. But here's the truth to hang on to. That God is not looking to put us out when we give up control. When we say, God, you take the wheel. I think there's a song about that somewhere. I mean, think of it like a parent. And this image is straight out of scripture, as I'll get to in a minute. You know, as a good parent would not give their child candy at as every meal. Right? Even though kids, if left to their own devices, they'd be all over that. Certainly ours would. But what does a good parent do? Straight out of scripture, out of Matthew, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God, as a good parent, that's an image straight out of his own word. See, God has the timing, the way, all the details figured out. Even if he only reveals them to us one little step at a time. The same way he had the timing and the way figured out all the way from the first sin when we had a need for a savior, all the way until the first Christmas. There were a lot of details God had to have figured out over many thousands of years. I have no doubt God had them all figured out back in Genesis 3. Now again, I said it gets real safe and real nice to talk about this because we can talk about it at a distance. But your next steps for this week and probably beyond are in your bulletin, answering or filling in one statement. I will submit this area of my life to Jesus Christ. Fill in the blank. The one area that's hard to release. The one area that because of fear, because of worry, because of hurt, because of stress, maybe you want to hang on to. Thinking, I got this figured out. God, don't mess with my plan. Hang on to this because I know it is, you will probably, if you take me up on this and fill this out, you will probably have to repeat this statement to yourself many times. And that's okay. God doesn't fault us for needing to remind ourselves about this. But hang on to this fact. God is good. You know, if we, who the Bible can call evil, even know how to give good gifts to our children, and many of us hold that title of parent or grandparent, You know you want the best for your children, for your grandchildren. God wants that for us even more. So let go and let him be Lord. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.